0: Thank you for listening to this recording from Chestnut Hill Baptist Church. For Easter 2018, Pastor David Seidt preaches out of Mark chapter 15 with a message called Darkness Covered the Land. We you find this message valuable and enriching. Our scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, the 15th chapter, verses 33 and 34. Mark 15, verses 33 and 34. This is the word of God to us. This morning at the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Elo, Elo, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? May God illuminate our hearts with this truth from his word this morning. Thank you. Some historians have said that the Battle of Waterloo fought on the 18th of June in 1815 is probably the turning point of human history. It determined the alignment of the nations and in some measure the destinies of the human race. Victor Hugo, the French poet, called it the world's earthquake. But on April 7th, some presume, A.D. 30, a greater battle than Waterloo was was fought, in which infinitely larger issues were involved and on which depended the eternal future of all of the children of mankind. On that day, the prince of darkness with all the legions of the infernal world met Emmanuel, who had come to be our champion, the champion of our ruined race. There were legions of angels and archangels who were eager to participate, but it was ordained that Jesus should, as it were, tread the winepress alone. The gauge of the conflict was the dominion of this world. For 4,000 years, Satan as the prince of the world had held the controlling influence. Here on Calvary, the issue was was joined, and for six awful hours, truth and error, sin and righteousness, life and death, confronted each other in mortal conflict. And at noon on that memorable day in the very thick of the conflict, this strange thing happened, which is now focusing our thoughts this morning. The sun was just crossing the meridian. It had been glowing like fire on the golden dome of the temple just beyond. And the glow shone on the soldiers' shields and their burnished spear points. It blazed upon the the agonizing figure on that cross. And then all of a sudden, for no perceptible reason, It seemed as if a thin veil were drawn over it. The air grew slowly still, and over on the slopes of Olivet the cattle laid down as if the the night was coming. The birds flew to their nests, and soon the shadows closed in until it was no longer possible to read the inscriptions on the phylacteries of the rabbis who stood by and the last beam of light vanished until one could not see the outline of the cross against the sky. And then, deep silence settled down, broken only by the sobbing of the women who stood nearby and the, the drops of blood that flowed from Christ to the ground. And there was deep midnight darkness at high noon. But what was the meaning of this darkness? I'd like to take a moment this morning to look at a few potential reasons for it. The first is the question, was it an eclipse? All attempts to eliminate the the supernatural from this occurrence are in vain. and We gain nothing by explaining away miracles. And we live in the midst of the the supernatural, and while we are putting one miracle away, a thousand more come swarming in upon us. So in the long run, we gain nothing by assuming an eclipse here. But this hypothesis is also out of the question. It doesn't make any sense. The darkness lasted too long. It extended too far. It was felled away in Egypt where Dionysus cried out with this voice saying, One of the gods must be agonizing. And further, the conclusive answer to this vain hypothesis is in the fact that the Passover occurred at the time of the full moon. The miracle therefore stays. We cannot get rid of the miracle of that darkness. But shall we say that this was an expression of the sympathy of of nature for her dying Lord? And why not? When Lincoln was assassinated, churches draped their pulpits in black and hung the tokens of sympathy across the doorways of those churches. The nation of whose government he was the chief magistrate went into mourning for his untimely death. Is not this world the kingdom of our Lord? Did not he create this world? There was not a bird or a beast or a creeping thing that was not under his control. And trees, and flowers, he made them all. And out of the hollow of his hand he poured the waters that filled the mighty deep. He set up the pillars of the universe, he reached out into space, as it were, and took hold of nothing, and when he withdrew his hand, there was a world in it, and one by one he spun the suns and the the stars upon their orbits. The universe was his, and now the king of this great kingdom was dying, and why should it not assume the trappings of mourning Our great loss? Well might the sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when God the mighty maker died for man the creature's sin. Or was this an expression of divine indignation, the gathering frown, as it were, on Jehovah's face? With what then was he angry? There's only one thing in the universe that can provoke God to divine wrath, and that is sin. And here on Calvary was the consummation of 4,000 years of persistent sin. God created our parents and blessed them and placed them in the garden where they, they grew such sweet and pleasant flowers as nowhere else were seen, but they defied His authority. And they broke His holy will, and then He drove them out, and He set a flaming sword of His anger at the garden gate, and His providence, and blessed them with His grace. He bore with their transgression and sent visiting angels to urge them to a holy life. And then looking down from heaven to to see if there were any that were righteous, any in His creation. He was moved to say this in scripture, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. And again his anger went out against him and he opened the windows of heaven, unstopped the fountains of the great deep and he swept them all away in a massive flood. And Then repopulating the earth, he renewed his goodness to the children of men, but all was in vain because they built altars to Baal and Aster and gave themselves up to all manner of abominations. And so far centuries, until at last he sent his only begotten son to reside with them. And then sin reached its ultimate, its thrust, is its dagger into the heart of God's well-beloved son. Was it not meant that the divine face of God should frown that day? There's no such thing as abstract sin. He was and is angry with sin in the concrete as it dwells in you and in me. And there's a sense in which all sin has in it the nature of crucifixion. It's enmity against God. It rejects his overtures of of mercy and it lifts its hand against his well-beloved son. And if we could behold it with the divine eyes, how much we too would hate it. Or shall we regard this darkness as setting forth the triumphant triumph of the, the wicked one? Here was the culmination of 30 years of war, for doing all the earthly life and ministry of Jesus, this prince of darkness had set up obstacles and strove to thwart his design purposes in every way that he could. He had tempted him. He embittered the hearts of his friends, had set the scribes and Pharisees to spy on him and laid all manner of pitfalls in his path. And all the while, Jesus was going about doing good, preaching the glorious truth of divine mercy, working miracles of healing, and setting forth in His walk and conversation the excellences of a holy life. This was the end of it, it must have been an hour of rejoicing in the infernal regions when the dark-winged messenger brought the news, they have seized upon the Christ, have tried and condemned, have mocked and derided him. They have led him out to Calvary, have nailed him to an accursed tree, and, lo, he dies in anguish. What shouts of triumph! The kingdom shall still abide with us, fling out the banners of the night. But all their rejoicing was premature and only momentary. On the cross, above the head of the dying Savior, were the words, Jesus, King of the Jews. But he was king of the whole Israel of God. Had he not said, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me. And presently, when he comes forth out of the darkness, He will have at his disposal the the keys of death and hell, and upon his vesture will be seen a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and from that moment he will go forth, conquering until the restitution of all things. We sing all hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate, fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all, But while there is some measure of truth, in all these suggestions, these suppositions, we've yet to mark the full significance of this darkness at noon. It sets forth the exercise of the priestly function of Jesus for the deliverance of his people from their sin. You see, in the calendar of Israel, there's one day which, by reason of its importance, was called the Great Day. It was a day on which the high priest made atonement for his people, and on that day was heard no sound of hammer or axe, no food could be prepared or eaten, no loud word might be spoken. The high priest, arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, his hands filled with the blood of the sacrifice, in the presence of all the people who gazed with deepest interest, lifted the outer veil, and passed into the tabernacle. No eye must gaze upon the mysteries there. He drew aside the curtain of the Holy of Holies and bowed before the Ark of the Covenant, sprinkling its golden cover, the mercy seat, with the sacrificial blood. He made his prayer for the people and came forth again, and in token of the success of his mediatorial errand, laid his hand upon the head of the scapegoat, and sent it out to Azazel, out into the desert, into the wilderness, and out into forgetfulness, laden with the people's sin. So on this memorial day on, on Calvary, our high priest passed into the Holy of Holies, The darkness fell like a veil behind Him and no human eye must gaze upon Him while with bleeding hands He sprinkles the mercy seat for us. But when the darkness lifts, the fact will be disclosed that the redemptive work of Jesus has been finished and there is therefore now no condemnation to those which are in Him. And this Easter morning, let's carry with us two helpful thoughts. The first, as to the sinner's doom, the sinner's doom, it's said of Luther that in reading of this strange darkness, he sat silent for a long time and then cried out, the Son of God was God forsaken, who can understand it? We cannot indeed understand it unless we believe that Jesus, who knew no sin, was made sin for us. That he stood as our representative before the offended law. That he was made a curse for us, and the world's sin was laid upon him. And in that great confession of the universal church, we say this, I believe that he descended into hell. If there was ever a moment of which we can truly say that it was when he passed into the deep darkness and when that awful cry pierced the night, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was the doom of all sinners that he was bearing. This was hell, the undying worm, the unquenchable fire. He bore it for us. And the other thought is of the sinner's deliverance, the sinner's deliverance. The Jews had often demanded, show us a sign, and at last, in this piercing darkness, the sign was given. And By this and by the returning of the light, when Jesus had finished His work, let us believe that He was truly the Son of God and able to save unto the uttermost all will come unto him through God. It's because he pressed to his lips that purple cup of death that we shall drink of the river of life that flows out from the throne of God. It's because he was bruised for our offenses that we, believing in him, should go scot-free forever. The Bible says, for by his stripes we are healed. Blessed be his name. At the ninth hour, the light returned. The execution was over. The people went down to their homes in Jerusalem, turning to ever mark the glo- gloomy outline of that cross and its burden against the heavens, saying one to another, The Nazarene is dead. But oh, how little they knew what that meant. The Nazarene is dead, and through him life and immortality are brought to light. He conquered death. Paul cried, O death, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy sting? Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We also come down from the hill of Calvary to meet at this ninth hour in the returning light to a to a new hope so let us go on with renewed courage let us love him more let us serve him better let us walk with him to the crucifixion and triumph in the grace of his resurrection until the day break and the shadows flee away and we stand in the light of his countenance forever May God bless his own word to us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look upon your word and we begin to realize and fathom the the reason for the darkness that fell upon the earth, as Christ at that moment bore upon himself the sins of the world and descended into darkness, but as with the high priest who, went into the Holy of Holies with the curtain behind him. We know your word says that at that moment, the curtain of the temple was rent into, opened up so that not just the high priest, but all who would receive the sacrifice and spilt blood of our Savior might also have everlasting life victory over the grave. And so as we come now to remember the goodness of our Lord Jesus Christ, his faithfulness to you to come into this world with the sole purpose of dying for a world while it was yet sinner. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the love that was shown. We thank you for the darkness that came over this world, that sin was taken and removed from us and placed on Christ who became our scapegoat into the darkness of hell, only to be brought back in the light of all eternity, victorious over the grave, that we, receiving that light from Him, were able to say it to you, thank you, Heavenly Father, for redeeming us, restoring us, forgiving our sins and giving us hope of everlasting life because Christ is risen. And we thank you in his precious name. Amen. For more information about Chestnut Hill Baptist Church or to subscribe to these audio messages via our podcast, visit our website at chestnuthillbaptist.org. You can also write to us at Chestnut Hill Baptist Church to Bethlehem Pike, Philadelphia, PA, 19118.